Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. The Philosophy Podcast is brought to you by Oxia Time, a cool watch company focused on university-branded watches. John Canaris is the founder of Oxia Time, and he was the goalie at Penn in the late 80s who led his team to the Final Four. John is actually best known for being the goalie that Gary Gate dunked on in the Air Gate. Oxia Time makes beautiful, Swiss-made, authentic watches whose design and quality match the essence of the universities they represent. I can attest to the quality of these watches. John hooked me up with a sweet Brown University Oxia watch, and I think it's the nicest thing I own. Initially licensed with eight Ivy League schools, Oxia keeps adding new schools each month. One of the coolest things Oxia offers is custom timepieces to commemorate championships or to celebrate storied teams. Check out the UVA Lacrosse Championship watch. It's sick. Princeton did a really nice one last year as well. Oxia even did an LSU football championship watch this year. For any teams interested in creating a custom watch this season, Oxia will upgrade it at no extra cost to a championship watch if your team wins a conference or national championship next year. For players, parents, and coaches interested in custom team watches, check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A-Time.com. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Rob Pinnell to the Philosophy Podcast. Rob is one of the greatest attackmen of, our, of this generation, uh, all-time leading scorer in Ivy League and Cornell lacrosse history, fourth all-time in NCAA. He's been an all-pro countless times and is a current member of the PLL Atlas. Um, Rob also runs A3 Lacrosse and his Attack Academy, and um, really fired up to have you on the show, Rob. Thanks for having me on, Jamie. Excited to be here. Yeah. I'm pumped. Uh, our mutual friend, uh, Tom Gilbane, hooked us up and connected us. He did. Uh, well, you know, shame on me for uh, not getting back to you uh, a year ago, but uh, glad that Tom had mentioned you and, and told me the, the work you were doing with his son and, and how amazing it was. And uh, I'm glad we finally were able to connect. Yeah, man. Awesome. Um, so like I do with most um, guests, I would love to start out with your lacrosse journey. You grew up in Smithtown, New York. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how you got started and and, and some of the other sports that you played that impacted your lacrosse career? Yeah, no, absolutely. So lacrosse was actually the last sport that I came to play. I grew up playing baseball. My dad was a baseball player. Um, basketball was probably like my favorite sport to play. Uh, golf, I was a golfer. Football, uh, soccer. I pretty much played every sport leading up to lacrosse. And um, one of my friends, I was living back in Comac at the time, which is a town over from Smithtown. And one of my friends, uh, Timmy Tranquil, who played at Stony Brook, oh, yeah. was playing because his older brother played. And uh, so he started to play and he's like, yo, man, you got to play. So I'm, oh, I was always over his house and we just started throwing around in the backyard. And it just came to me, you know, I through all these, through eye hand coordination, you know, with all the other sports, it just came to me. And, uh, you know, I just started catching and throwing in the backyard. He's like, you got to come to practice. And uh, his dad, who knew who was my basketball coach, was like, you got to play behind the goal, you know, and, and quarterback the offense. So I actually, like, for my first practice, was playing attack and was playing X attack, oh. which was pretty cool. Um, quickly, the two of us just kind of just meshed on the field and, and started playing well. So we were playing for the grade above us. And then you had the, um, you know, I was still trying to play baseball and all that stuff. So at the same time, uh, I was like, you know what? I think it's time to maybe just put some other sports aside for now. And uh, broke my dad's heart probably, but focus on lacrosse. And um, it's kind of what kind of my love just came that quick for the game. I think it was the fast paced nature of it and the combination of all the other sports, you know, being a point guard in basketball, um, I played catcher in baseball, so you can kind of look at, at that, I guess, as kind of the quarterback and kind of conducting everything and, um, the, you know, golf with the hand eye and, um, you know, 
I wasn't really good at soccer, so I won't throw that in there. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, just, uh, you know, I, I came to love it. And, you know, I moved to Smithtown eventually, which the youth program is really great. And we had a lot of great players. And um, I had this whole new group of friends. And this is something we've talked about is there were three teams in Smithtown at the same age group. And because there were just so many kids that played and the kids were good. So as we got, this is in like fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, as we got older, we combined those teams and, you know, we actually traveled around as a club team, team Smithtown in high school. And, um, but these friends that I made in Smithtown, we just loved lacrosse and we loved competing. So all we would do, you know, when we were at home in George's backyard, we would be barefoot in bathing suits in the back, you know, in the summer and we would be playing two on two, three V three in the backyard. And, um, I really think that was an instrumental part of, you know, my skill development because we just always had the stick in our hands and we were just always competing against one another. And, um, something that I look back on more and more and see how important that was to, uh, to all of our development as, you know, I think eight of us played college across. Yeah. And, um, and then when you went on to high school, um, at Smithtown West, uh, who was your head coach? I had three different coaches, uh, kind of like college. I, I, I guess I just haven't had luck with some consistency in coaching. Um, but my senior year, which was my best year, the head coach was Sean Keenan, who uh, played at Ward Melville and then played at Delphi and was a good player in his own right. His son's actually uh, – Kyle played at Duke and, and oh, yeah. Ryan, played, Ryan played at Penn State. So um, – he was, he was kind of the first coach I had in high school that was like, hey, like, you're really good at this sport and, and you can do some awesome things. We're going to give you the, you know, the keys to the offense and kind of let you run with it. And I think you could have a, you know, a breakout year here on Long Island. And I think that was just something personally that I needed to hear. And, uh, and sure enough, he was right. You know, he, before the season started, he told me that, you know, he's a pretty competitive guy too. And I think he had 120 something points his senior year of high school. And he's like, I think you could have more than I had. And I was like, I looked at him like he had three heads. <laughs> I, was like, what? I was like, what do you mean? And uh, sure enough, uh, you know, I had 130 points. And, you know, it was an all American. Uh, so it was something, you know, it was a very important year for my career, um, just confidence wise. Do you feel like you were just kind of under-recruited and, and not noticed, or were you just a super late bloomer that really came into, you know, into your own as a senior in high school, or both? I think it, I think it was a combination, because I, I think I was a different athlete. I, I definitely matured late, so you know, my, my physicality and my speed and quickness were things that definitely took to the next level over the course of, you know, my junior to my senior year. But I do think I always had the skill and it's something I always took pride in from, you know, when I was in sixth grade, my, you know, my uncle who played at Hofstra, Jim Metzger said, you know, he kind of saw my size and he's like, listen, if you want to be good at this sport, you better have two hands. And uh, he's like, you know, lefty and a righty. So I just made my left hand as good as my right hand started, uh, in winter when everyone's playing indoor, I was like, you know what? It's not, it doesn't count. It's not important. I'm just going to play with my off hand and see if I can make it better. If I throw a bad pass, who cares? So it's kind of what I did. And um, sure enough, the only reason I started on varsity as a sophomore was because of my left hand. And um, really, you know, being the size and speed that I was, was I wasn't going to go just be able to just be a righty. So it was, great advice and something I took pride in. So I always think I had the skill and maybe was, you know, just overlooked because of my size and speed at the time, because we did go around to tournaments and we did win a lot of games and, um, and coach, you know, my, my two best friends who were my attack line mates, they were being recruited and I just kind of, they kind of were looked at as the guys comparative to me. Um, but once I grew and uh, got a little bit, became more of an athlete, uh, in physical terms, I certainly uh, hit my stride. So how did you end up at Cornell? I got very lucky. Um, I really, I, I went to Deerfield. I was supposed to go to Quinnipiac. And then after that year, 
my uncle, my parents were like, listen, you know, your dream's been to play in a final four and national championship. And, you know, some people have come and watched you play and they think that you have the ability to do that. So, you know, why not take a chance? So the prep school route was something that I didn't even know existed. Got very lucky with that. Got in two weeks to deer, two weeks before school started, got into Deerfield as a oh, basketball Pete, as a basketball PG. Wow. Uh, Cause they needed a point guard. Um, so the first question Chip Davis asked me when he, when we were talking, he's like, do you play basketball? I was like, yeah, but point guard. Uh, he's like, perfect. So I, I literally like got the acceptance, I think two weeks before I needed to be there. So it was a pretty stressful summer, especially for my mom. I give her a lot of credit because she obviously takes the burden of all of it. And uh, so two weeks before school started, I get there. And then when I'm there, uh, Quinnipiac wasn't letting me out of my national letter of intent. So I could only talk to non-scholarship schools, which were really at this point, just talking to Ivy League schools. Penn Brown on the same day told me they didn't really have a spot for me. My dad went to Brown. So I was, I kind of wanted to go there. And then uh, just random, I was talking to Harvard, but Tillman, I don't think was that interested. I don't know if he really thought I could be uh, a division one player. Uh, and one of my best friends from Smithtown was there and he, you know, he kind of was saying like, yeah, I don't know if they really want you that bad. So they were kind of just like stringing me along and out of nowhere, you know, Cornell called me. They had seen a highlight tape. Two of my classmates at Deerfield had just gone up on their official visit where I guess they coach Tamboni said they had one spot left. Does anybody, you know, know of anyone? And um, Ben DeLuca was a Deerfield guy and Chip Davis, you know, knew him. So, a lot of things kind of tied into that and they called me up and within like, I'd say within a week, five days, maybe less. And they called me on like a Wednesday. I was there on Friday, stayed over with the team, you know, and then on Tuesday I committed. So, um, but they had never, Coach Tamboni had never seen me play live, at least hadn't remembered seeing me play live. Yeah. So, you know, I, he may have been at some of our games, but just didn't, you know, overlook me or whatever. So, um, I just got really lucky that they had that spot and that they gave me a chance because it was between me and one other guy. And I remember him calling me and say, Hey, listen, you're our first option after visiting with you and your family. Um, we think you're the right fit. If, so the spot's yours, if you want it. That's an awesome story. What a great story of, um, of keeping the faith of continuing to work hard. You know, even though you're a late bloomer, you know, if you just keep working at it, you know, good things are going to happen. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's that's definitely the thing, and it's something. You know, listen, it's it's not going to be that way for everybody. I know a lot of kids think that you know the PG year might work for them, and I, I think it's important for you for someone to exhaust all their opportunities if they if they have the means to, um, and, and they can. Um, doesn't necessarily it's going to mean it's going to turn out you know the best, but at least you know you did it right. At least you know you gave it, it all you had, and I think that's the most important thing. Totally. Um, so have you always been a three? Uh, I have since, since I moved from Colmack to Smithtown. Yeah. My, uh, oh. in fifth grade, since fifth grade. Well, I'm a three as well. So, you know, I always, uh, you were always like, as soon as I saw you as a freshman at Cornell, I was like, I like that three. That's really fucking three. That's why it was 3D lacrosse. It's JM3. I, love I, mean, it. I just yeah. love that number. And, uh, so we share that. Um, yeah. Cool. Love it. Um, why did you choose number three? What's why that? did you choose number? Why did you choose number three? I don't even know why. Yeah, I don't remember why. I just chose it and loved it, and was I was three all through high school and college. Yeah, I got lucky with that too because my freshman year it was open and an upperclassman was going to take it, and uh, people knew I was three, so they kind of like made some noises as he took it, and he's like, "Oh, did you want it?" and he gave it to me. But uh, <laughs> so I got I kind of got lucky too, but. Uh, yeah, it's a good yeah, sign when you can get your number when you get the I, cho I chose three because of Babe Ruth. Really? When it was, I was number 10 when up until fifth grade. And then uh, I, when I switched over, there were like a few numbers. And I was like, ah, three, Babe Ruth. Cool. I'll take that. That's <laughs> literally what went through my head. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I love the fact that uh, Shift Davis, who, by the way, literally just texted me one second ago. Um, really? Yeah. Um, I was talking to uh, Drew Feely, 
He's their offensive oh, coordinator. The best. Great dude, right? And I was talking to him yesterday on a, on a Zoom call. We were watching a bunch of film. And there's a few kids I work with that go to Deerfield. And my cousin goes there. And anyways, um, I was uh, – but back to the, the conversation with Chip, hey, are you a point guard? Will you talk a little bit about what basketball has done for your lacrosse game? And I'm sure it was – to get you to, to get you to Deerfield, but I bet you played a lot of hoops since then as well. Yeah, um, I haven't played in college in a, in a in a fraternity league, which I probably shouldn't have been doing. And uh, New York City since graduating, played in leagues there, and um, I love hoops. And I, I think it's so for me, it was so important to be the lacrosse player that I am. It's lacrosse is so translatable, not just you know. Everyone talks about the pick and rolls and the two-man game, but for a point guard playing basketball, what's my job? Okay, to distribute the ball. So what do I have to do? Well, I always have to have my head up. So I think that's like one of the most important things that an ex-attackman can do and, and good offensive players is really being able to play with your head up and do two things at once, right? You're handling a ball and handling pressure with someone on you, yet you have to be able to move and see who's open, you know, how an offense is moving. So that was the first thing that I think was really translatable. The second part of that is being able to handle that pressure, which taught me how to use my body. Because in basketball, I wasn't really a, uh, you know, face-to-face -face player. I wasn't really going to beat you with the dribble, right? So it was, I played with my back to my defender a lot. So I was more so, you know, like, you know, turning to him yeah. with my giving, it, giving him one shoulder, kind of like you would be a lacrosse stick. Yep. And, you know, I'm, I'm making sure, dribbling the ball, making sure he can't get it, you know, rockering, rolling yep. off of it, um, able to go both hands. And, you know, I, my, my basketball game was I had six points a game that were usually in the last minute on free throws because I had to ice the game. You know, that was – but I had, you know, eight assists. So that was my – that was my game and being able to handle that pressure, especially when you get to the higher levels and you then have the full court pressure. So you're handling a defenseman and you got to be able to move side to side, handle the pressure on your. So I, I think for me, those two things, you know, having to play with your head up and quarterback the offense and then handling the pressure and learning how to use my body in ways to keep that defenseman away from me and then use his really, you know, use his body against himself, which we do so much in lacrosse. Right. If he, if he pressures me too much to this side, go the one way, you know. So all those yeah. things that you talk about were so instrumental. And, and, and just like playing basketball from, you know, CYO and, and organized basketball, you know, my friends that we were playing lacrosse with in the backyard, we were playing two-on-two -two basketball in the driveway, yeah. you know. So sure. it's, it's all that stuff of just, you know, a lot of sports for, for me growing up. Yeah, that's so awesome. I, I did a podcast the other day about the concept of fundamentals in which I was talking about People, people like to label fundamentals as like a skill, like overhand would be a fundamental. But I actually think that what you just talked about of being able to see the floor or see the field, handle pressure, uh, to be able to use your body, those are to me what fundamentals really are. And it's amazing to see the translation. And that's why we love multi-sport athletes. And it's why we use one sport to develop the other because it Instead of worrying about a particular way to do something, you just had to figure out how to see the floor, how to handle pressure, how to use your body, and how to use changes of speed. You reference that with your rockers and how to fake and be deceptive and read the defense. I mean, everything. It's just amazing what that, what that sport does for you. Absolutely. And I think the other thing, too, is anticipation yeah. um, with basketball, you know, being able to kind of see the play. I think that's a skill. I think that's something that, you know, great players are, are born with in a sense and, and really have that understanding of, of sports. But I also think that's something you can, you can certainly learn and basketball being able to anticipate a pass, you know, when is a guy going to be open leading him with that bounce pass towards the basket or coming around to pick, you know, timing it up. Um, that's something that I learned playing basketball, which um, I like to think I do a pretty good job on the cross field of being able to, to see the play develop. Very cool. Um, let's uh, talk a little bit about the Cornell days. So, um, man, I got to say, uh, in 2009, I remember watching that, that championship game, and I wanted you guys to win so badly. Um, <laughs> I, am, uh, I was, like, sick to my stomach, probably not as much as you guys were. But, um, man, it was such a great team to watch. I love Coach Tambroni. 
Uh, Shel Tambroni and my wife were in each other's weddings. They were great friends oh, wow. back at Yale. Oh. So I've known, I've known Jeff for a long time. Um, but huge fan of him as a person, the way he coaches. And I would love to hear, you know, you talk about the Cornell days and, and how Coach Tambroni and what a difference he made in your life as well as a person and a player. Yeah. Um, you know, my only regret with Coach Tambroni is that I wasn't able to have him, uh, you know, for longer, you know, with his move to Penn State. And, uh, you know, that I'm grateful. I'm, you know, that's good and bad. You know, I have an amazing relationship with Coach Shaluka because of that. And yep. uh, he's been a tremendous influence on me as well. But uh, Coach Shaluka was a defensive guy and, you know, Coach, Coach T was the offensive guy. So we had a special relationship. And that relationship, I think, started early on. And I think Coach Zambroni is a lot different now um, than he was back then. I, I think he's a little more laid back now, I'd like to say. And in talking to some of the Penn State guys, especially Grant, like he's he's definitely you know a little calmer. But back then, um, you know, he was just uh, he on the field, and, and he just pushed you to be your very best. And uh, more so than I think any coach I've played for, he had the ability to do that, to from guy to guy, find the ways to push that guy to just reach his full potential. And, you know, we, we kind of had conversations one-on-one -on -one very early on. And, um, you know, I was like, I think he respected me for one of the things that I said to him was like, you know, listen, I just want, I know he gets on guys and, you know, when things go wrong, this and that, I was like, coach, I just wanted to let you know if I do something wrong in a practice, you know, because games, he was completely different, right? Games, he wasn't, he wouldn't get on you. He knew it was a game. He knew, you know, he doesn't want to, you know, get in guys' heads during games. So, but I was like, listen, if, if I do something wrong, I'm the first person to know. So I don't need, you know, you to get on me for something because, I'm already pissed at myself and he kind of respected that. And from that point on, we really had a special relationship with regards to that. And um, he just has this way about him. I tell kids now, um, you know, if I was going into college across the guy that I want, would want to play for um, just because of my experience with him. And um, he, he's, he's the most competitive guy in the room. Um, and you see that and that rubs off on everybody and he has this way of to push you to be your best but also you kind of get annoyed at him and you feel bad for the guys that maybe he's giving a hard time so you end up loving each other more and you know if that you know he's willing to sacrifice what you think of him for the betterment of the team and uh yeah he's aside from what he does on offense and his ability to develop skill um just what he what he does outside of that with kind of just allowing us to develop mentally and, you know, to see that we can perform at this high level and that we can uh, be one of the best teams in the country is why, you know, we had the success that we had when he was there and, you know, Cornell and, and, you know, he left that with coach Luca and, and why we had success when he left. So, yeah. um, you know, and then on the field, he just, he just pushed you, you know, he, he saw what I needed. He pushed my game to that next level. He's like, you know, you, you need to be a feeder. You know, you're a feeder that's, that can't fly anymore. Like you need to be able to get to the goal now. You got to be able to do both things. We can't just have you be one dimensional. And, um, and he pushed me and he, and he put the, you know, put the ball in my stick at a very early time, but he had kind of had faith in me that I could do it. And, uh, you know, during practice, he would he would throw everything at me that he that I could handle to prepare me to to be my very best. So, um, cr truly, a, a an awesome experience to play for him. And yeah. uh, you know, I, I just wish we could have won that game. And I know. And then in, and then in 2014, you know, we had a chance to, to win a gold medal together, and uh, we, we messed that up as well. So um, I, I don't I don't know why, but maybe we just want it so bad or or something like that. But uh, he's he's a special person, and I don't know if you've ever been in, inside the locker room for one of his pregame talks. He's uh, he's as no. good as he gets. That oh yeah, I bet he's, uh, he's as good as he gets. I gotta give a shout out to a couple of my favorite Cornellians. I work with uh, Rocco Romero, 
who yeah. was on that first midfield with Glenn and Seabalds uh, back in the day. And then Mike O'Neill, he coached with me over the years. Great dude yeah. uh, out here in Colorado and doing amazing things. And he's coaching girls across now and he's crushing it. Mike, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're doing really good stuff. Rocco, Mike's, Mike's an incredible athlete and you've seen that, you know, him being able to, to play at the next level in the, in the professional league. And then Rocco. Rocco hit his stride, man, in 09 going into the playoffs. We were – I think Coach got on him a little bit. And uh, I want to say the Princeton game, he had two or three goals, maybe three. Mm -hmm. A 6-4 six, game, game, he had three goals. And then in the semifinals, he was staying corners. And uh, he was – that was a special midfield line, those three together. Oh, yeah. So, uh, that that was. was pretty – One of the most underrated midfield lines of all time. I mean, Glenn – in Rocco, you know, you don't even think about those guys, but those guys are good players, man, for a team, especially team guys. Made my, made, made my job uh, easy, especially as a freshman. That's good stuff. So, you know, you've been playing for a while now. It's crazy. That was 10 years ago, you know, more than 10 years ago, that 09 championship. Um, and so uh, it's kind of crazy to sort of think about how time flies. But what I'd love to hear – about is, you know, where you're at now and, and what you're trying to do with your game and how are you trying to, I'm sure you're continually trying to get better. How are you doing that? And what are some of the things you're thinking about these days? How's it going, everybody? Jamie here. Thanks for listening. If you've been enjoying the content in my Philacrosophy podcast, my Inside the Eight podcast, or my lacrosse weekend blogs, I would encourage you to check out the store at jamesfreesports.com. I've created awesome content for coaches, players, and parents in both men's and women's lacrosse. For coaches, the coaches training program. It's, it's a combination of cutting edge and practical. We have division one men's and women's coaches all the way down to high school, JV, and youth. For players, I've created JM3 player academies which are designed to teach every variation of every skill for boys and girls across. And for parents, I've created a JM3 recruiting portal where I've taken all of the content from my blogs, my podcasts, from webinars and other interviews and pooled all of this information in one place where parents can get access to incredible content and insights from the very coaches that you're hoping to play for. Yeah, yeah. it's been, you know, since my my first time in you know first game in the pros I remember waking up pretty sore and I was like all right I gotta really step my game uh up physically because this is a this is a different kind of beating that you're taking every game so um how can I take my fitness level to that next level um and I, I'd say that's been one of my I'd say over the years that's been definitely one of the keys is how can I put myself in an advantage, you know, in the third and fourth quarter where I'm not tired, my defensive might be getting a little tired and I can start to have, um, and it, you know, even more of an advantage at that point. So I, I think physically and then just my, my strength and um, my quickness is something that I've, I've tried to work on up until this point. And now I feel like now that I've gotten there, I kind of have to start, I kind of, maybe over those years lost a little bit of, of emphasis, put, put less emphasis on, you know, my lacrosse skills and, you know, more so film study and, and lacrosse IQ and understanding the game because I was so invested in my, in my fitness levels that, you know, it consumed up a lot of my time and my days. And I saw the benefit of it. I certainly was able to just continue to perform at that high level, but now it's like, okay, I don't feel as if I'm performing skill-wise at the level that I can be performing at. So it's funny how you may, you know, you kind of go, kind of comes full circle where you get back yeah. to that. You get back to that. So, um, you know, I, I think film analysis is something I certainly need to do a better job of. And um, not only of myself and, and understanding how I play, but of, you know, taking things from other guys' games and trying to implement it into mine. And, um, you know, understanding defense is better and defensive tendencies. You know, I am getting older, so I'm not, you know, maybe not going to break down a defense like I used to. But if I understand how they're moving and, and certain tendencies, that I might be able to take advantage of that. Um, and, and then something that I've always struggled with, which is just, 
you know, probably more so this year, just because of the lack of live reps with everything that's going on in the world. But even, even in the last few years is, is just my shooting. And, you know, how do I, how do I become more patient when it comes to finishing and, you know, putting the ball on goal to good spots, not, not rushing shots. Uh, and with that shot selection, uh, I believe is important. Now, with that, the pro game has a shot clock. So a lot of times I take shots that I don't want to take. It's just yep. a matter of, End of the clock. Just, you're just throwing something at the goal. But I do think there's times where I, I settle for something where, you know, this is things you talk about with, with young kids. You settle for a shot where, you know, you could get a greater one or, or someone else can get a greater opportunity. So um, I see myself in, in this part of my career certainly – certainly I do think I can get better, which excites me. I, I do think I can be better. Um, but I, I definitely want to focus on being more that quarterback for the offense and um, making those around me better as well and, and being that, that veteran guy that uh, can manage a game. Yeah, so important. It's such a, a feel. You know, I remember we used to watching Jason Kidd and – you know, I'm sure you've watched him a lot. And, and I, what I loved about him was that he just moved the ball a lot. You know, I mean, he would still get his triple doubles. You know, he 12 points, 10 assists, and 13 rebounds. But, but it was – but he also just moved it, you know. And how often do you think about that as far as, like, okay, well, you know, I want to be able to – you know, at the end of a clock, I need – you know, I need to be able to make something happen for my team. But before we get there, we got to be able to make something happen for the team also by just moving it. Yeah. That was some, that was uh, one of my points of emphasis going into this year's PLL season. And I think it was a combination of things. One, um, we had a lot of extremely talented guys in our offense, so I, I didn't want the ball to get stuck in my stick like maybe it, it had in, um, in years past. And not necessarily stuck, but just, you know, dodging, changing direction, you know, holding on to it for 10 seconds. And then – with the um, the fact that I was a new guy and I was a rookie and that's what I felt like. And, you know, I, I didn't want to come into a team that I hadn't been on last year and step on guys' toes and, um, and get everyone their touches. And I, and I think I did a good job of that certainly early on, but then it becomes an internal struggle with yourself, especially when you're not winning games. It's like, okay, well, do I need to take the ball more? Do I need to, to try and create for myself more to create opportunities because we're not scoring goals with what we're doing right now. So it's really, uh, it's a, yeah. it's something you, you struggle with, uh, with yourself and then with your team, you're like, guys, why aren't we scoring goals? What do we need to be doing differently? What can I be doing better to help you guys? And, um, and with that, when you're not taking, when you're not getting your touches, then when you are getting them, you're maybe forcing it and not taking shots you want to. So there's kind of a balance there. Um, but I do think in pro lacrosse, when the ball is moving top to bottom, bottom to top, you know, when it gets through X and back up to the midfield or, you know, gets from dodge from X to the midfield back to X, I feel like that's when offenses have their success. And then with off ball movement, you know, the, the one-on-one to score is not is a thing of the past in pro lacrosse. Definitely difficult. Um, one of the things I when I think about dodging, I think about it as there's sort of the beginning of the dodge, which is how you initiate. There's the middle of the dodge, which is how you change speed, change direction, bounce out, re-dodge, and then there's the end of the dodge, which is how you get your shot off. And honestly, I, I, you you, um, you do all three of those things exceptionally well, and you do a lot of different things. And I just want to hear your some thoughts. So let's start with the beginning of the dodge. What are some of the different ways you think about attacking people and also relative to kind of who they are? Like when are you running hard at somebody versus when you're maybe going to square them up and get closer to them? Um, when are you going to make your break a little bit farther away? And are there sort of, you know, is it a little different between a guy that puts a stick way out on you versus a guy who's going to play a little more cross check, bump and run, move laterally. Just some of your thoughts on that would be really interesting. Yeah. Um, 
it definitely a defender to defender case, I think. But for the most part, I do I like to start my dodge a little lateral, right? So I like to try and get my defense moving left or right and to split off that or, you know, face dodge off that to get a step on him moving in one direction where if I can get moving at a, a faster speed from the start there behind the goal to get him moving faster, that's when those other changes in direction and changes in speed will be more effective. I think if a defender's closer to me, I'm going to be more likely to move laterally, get him moving, make that dodge to my left or to my right, and then one or two more changes in speed, whether that's a rocker, or hesitation, or another roll, to eventually get a step on him to get to where I want to go. I try and use my speed more if the defender, some defenders will give you space and yeah. they'll, they'll give you, you know, three, four, five yards in between you and him behind the goal. I'd say for me, it's more the opposite. Defenders are going to press out. They're going to try and limit the touches, you know, adjacent. Um, and when I do get it, they're going to crowd me. So I can't get that running start and have to use uh, my body. So it's really the first thing is how close is the defender to me? What do I have to do? Yeah. Um, and then after that, it's, it's, you know, it's really looking at tendencies sometimes, you know, some defenders really like that strong V hold. So if they're going to do that to one side, um, I, that I'll, I'll stay away from that a lot because it does the refs at the professional level are very tentative to call that now. And, you know, you could get swung down, on an inside roll and they won't call anything or, you know, he'll just hold you up at five and five and you're trying to like get forward and he's just holding you and they won't call that. So I'll try and stay away from that. And generally if it's a right-handed defender, I would like to attack him lefty. And if it's a left-handed defender, I like to attack him righty where his stick is to the top side. So that way I can start to play with where he's putting his stick. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of defenders want their stick where your stick is. So if you get to five and five lefty and it's a right defender and you go back for that question mark, he's going to bring that stick back over to where he thinks you're going to be, which then leaves the top open uh, for you to rock her back, you know, and same yep. thing on the opposite side. So I'd say once I get above the goal, you know, I make my changes in speed and change the direction. I try not to, to go back across goal line, uh, back across X once I commit to one side pretty close. Uh -huh. And then when you're, when you're above the goal, I'm, I'm looking a lot of my defender's stick and then I'm looking a lot of where his body's position and, and where his weight is. But um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's changed over the years. You know, I, I, I can't, I feel like a lot of times I just do it and, yeah. you know, and, and it's also game to game. Sometimes I feel fast. And I want to fly, I want to, you know, get to space and fly by him. And yeah. sometimes I want to get to five and five and I want to body him. And, you know, if I have a defender on me, that's a little smaller, not as strong as me. I'm obviously going to try and body him more. Yeah. If I have a bigger guy, um, you know, like a Matt Dunn, who is strong or like a Tucker Durkin, um, I may have to change, change directions a little bit more behind the goal, knowing that I'm probably not going to win the physical matchup at five and five. Um, so that's something I also have to think about, but, uh, at the end of the day, I do love to feed. So if I can, if I can do enough behind the goal, change directions, change speeds to get that defense, that defense coming and sliding that I can pop out and look to feed that's ideal situation for me. Um, and the other thing I'll say is that I never really, re I never reach full speed. I'm never interested you know, I'm never really probably 90%. It's a, and there's a difference between full speed and going hard, right? So you're going hard as hell, but you're, but you're never, because you're stopping and going and changing direction and then stopping and going and then change, you know, you, it, it, there's always a hesitation to stop and go. And that's kind of, you know, what I'm inferring from that comment. Yeah. It's, I'm always under control. I never want to put myself in a position where, if I go full speed and all of a sudden I have to roll back and there's a defender there, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to fall or, you know, I'm going to slip or 
um, the double team's going to come and it's going to hit me. So I always want to be in control that so when I am dodging, I can see what's going to, what's coming, what's happening next. I can feel the defender and be able to change when I need to. Um, and I think that's important. You know, I think a lot of, some players can do that full speed. And, you know, you look at a guy like Jordan Wolf, who I wish I had his speed and he could just run by a guy and, and, and run past him to the point where he's got him, he could take the shot or he sees the slide coming. I don't have that speed. So for that reason, I never get the full speed. I, I, I just don't need to. Um, I rather operate and be able to operate with my head up, see the slide coming, get to where I want to go. Um, and be able to, to take care of the ball, hopefully because of that and not put myself in a bad position. Yeah. How much are you trying to get your men to run faster than you to actually overrun you? And when you're using your hesitations and goes and how you sell go to get that guy to go full speed when you're really yeah. going to be coming back the other under control other way. A lot. I, I think that's a lot of, you know, what I'm doing is to try and, you know, my whole philosophy is if you change speeds and you change direction enough, you're eventually going to get a step on that guy and hopefully get him to trip up at some point because you're doing it so often. And, you know, you'll know when you have him because he's lagging behind or he is chasing up. I think it's very underrated, the the whole chasing up. Like people who are trying to like beat their defenseman on one go is overrated because it's like, well, you could really get him if you get him to over pursue you and now you roll back exactly. and he's full speed. Right. So, so why not let that happen and, and try and make that happen. And I think that, you know, certainly earlier in my career, everyone you know, scouts me pretty good on it now, but I think that's why the question mark is so effective. Right. It's like, if I can get my change in speed and change direction behind the goal, and then I make that burst once I get the goal line extended to five and five, and he's got to make that burst with me, then I all of a sudden I stop quick, step to the outside, and take a quick shot, right? And he's going to run by me or he's going to lose his footing. So I think that burst from goal line extended to five and five is an important one because that's where you can certainly get him to over pursue past you. And that's going to allow you a scoring opportunity, whether that's the question mark or the inside role. I think the rocker, I think the rocker, I, I more so use when he's with me yeah. uh, and playing good defense. Um, and I, I use it at X too. You know, I certainly yeah. try and make a quick burst to, to come around the cage and turn the corner. Um, but that's usually off a roll. You know, I, I'd say my favorite thing to do is, you know, split dodge, a little hesitation to a burst to like my left. So he over pursues, roll back to my right and see if I can get a shot coming around. If not, you know, drive up to five and five and then see what's going on. One of the really counterintuitive things that you do well, um, and it's counterintuitive to a lot of athletes, but the, the scenario you just ex described where you split to your left, hesitate, burst, roll back, and then and have, you know, if you got him, you got him. But so many times I'll see you hesitate again. Yep. and keep going and it's like people will say well and you see this in hoops all the time like you don't see somebody make a move on their guy from outside the three and get all the way to the basket without multiple hesitations right and why because those hesitations will affect the help but they also impact your own man and so even though you have a step some people might think well if I hesitate won't they catch back up but not really they actually react because they think you're rolling back and then you maintain your step how much do you think about that or is it just now? No, I think it's I think it's it's second nature to some point at this time, but but that's why I'm doing it right. And a lot of it is that scenario right there. When I do roll back, it's a little stutter to keep him where he is. Right. Right. Keep By him time. There. By a little By time. time. Yeah. And then you come around, and you know, for someone who's not the fastest, like that's those are little nuances that anyone can do. Yeah. And it's just kind of understanding that. And I, I guess I've been doing it for so long. You know, when I first started doing it, I was thinking about it. And it was something my dad, who's an athlete, would talk to me about. He's like, you know, change speed, change direction. And then Coach Tambroni, we, we talked about deception a lot. You know, making the defender think you're doing something that you're not. And those were things that we would we would look at. 
and we would focus on and um, some of it came naturally some of it we would work on but it was little things like that where you would do it in a certain place that you know when you do have the defender on a roll you take a step and then maybe something another you know stutter or hesitation to keep them there and then you keep going the same direction and those are things that you know i i think i use those probably more than more than anything at this yeah. point in my career um i've been um i've always noticed that, that I, I talk a lot about deception also and, and you watch you know the best players in the world they fake all the time what is your take on deception as far as it as far as not you, you use it with your hesitations masterfully. What about with you know pumping to slides, drawing checks in order to open a window to shoot or feed? What are what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I wish I was better at it with my stick. I'd say most of my deception comes with my you know change of speed, change of direction, my eyes. Your you eyes. know, having your having your head up, looking like you're gonna feed. Um, turning you know, your head. being able, turning, yeah, being able to look this way and, you know, and come back one way or, um, or when you are feeding, you know, looking one way and then coming the other way. Um, I'm not as good with my stick fakes as I wish I was, you know, I think those are so valuable and, you know, a lot of, you know, especially a lot of Canadians, but a lot of indoor guys that are driving up, barreling on their guys, you know, they throw the one and they get the, you know, the defense, the, the defender to jump that way. And they, they got the guy back door or they get their guy to jump. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not as good with those as I can. Um, I do like them, you know, man up there effective, you know, you fake here and get the defender to jump sure. and, you know, throw the skip pass. So, um, but you think of like Lyle Thompson and John Grant Jr. and the way that they make people play, you know, they fake behind the back and they get someone to play their wrong side. Yeah. Of <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's crazy. I, I don't, that's a, that's a game. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's uh, you know, it'd be, it'd be cool to learn that, but I don't know if I'm going to get there at this point, those guys, you know, obviously their hands and, and their skill level is, is off the charts and, um, but yeah, I think they have different ways of doing it. I mean, you look at Lyle and John Grant. I mean, they talk about guys that don't go full speed. You know, they they just kind of cruise to wherever they're going, and they do that through the stick fakes and you know their body movements and shoulder turns and you know simple stuff like that. Um, I'd say I do it more through my eyes, my yeah, head, um, and posture too. You know, yeah. it's like. You know, are you straight? Are you straight up and you know looking relaxed, and then you know bursting out of it, or are you yeah. athletic and then slowing down and looking up, and you're right yeah. into it? Um, so I think posture is important as well. One thing I notice about when you talk about using your eyes, I've noticed you do this when you do question marks, and I don't know if this is just instinctive or it's something that you teach or whatever. But if you're coming up left-handed and you're going to do a question mark back to your right, you'll almost like give your eyes to the middle as you're punching your left hand out to the side. And it, 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 it's just like in hoops. If you were, if you catch a ball and you jab as you set up your jumper, you know what I mean? You can, you yep. can basically freeze a guy and the yep. same thing kind of happens on your question mark. And I was curious about your, you know, what, if you can describe that a little bit. Yeah. I, I think that's more so trying to hold off the defender, um, you know, or any slide and to yep. just kind of hold them there. Cause if I'm, you know, I'm looking up and the, the biggest, I'd say the biggest reason I do it is the goalie because a goalie probably doesn't think you're going to shoot if you're looking up the field. Yeah. So if I'm looking up here and, you know, all of a sudden I'm looking to the middle, you know, I'm not like I'm looking back at him or my head's turned. Yeah. So if I can keep my, if I can keep my head to the middle of the field as long as possible. So the goalie's thinking, okay, maybe he's passing the ball or the defenders, you know, going to, slide less so if I can get there and keep it there and then get away and then a quick head turn a quick shot try yeah. and catch that goal try and get that goalie off guard and at that point it's not so much about putting the ball in the corner it's just like all right put it on net and don't hit them and yeah. a quick release is usually gonna be more effective than not but that head turn it's delayed. Like you're actually starting your question mark yep. towards the sideline while your head is still looking to the middle. And that does give you a little extra separation. And it's a, it's a nuance that not many people know. Most people, what they do is they get up there 
and as they punch their hand, their head turns and they're looking at their sticks, essentially. Um, yeah. Whereas if you can delay that head turn, you will give yourself a little bit more separation. Yep, I agree. So, yeah, it's cool. I, I made a comment to you last week when we were chatting that I thought that, like, you know, your moves behind the net is a model of, of what everyone should learn how to do if they want to be an next guy and learn how to use change of speed, change of direction, Z dodges, all of it. But that your ability to handle the physicality and operate on the island, get shots off and feed is truly what makes you great. And in the words of the late, great Dave Huntley, anything that happens, you know, outside of around 15 yards from the net is all noise. And uh, you're a pretty good example of being able to handle that. Um, how do you practice that? How do you think about it? Um, and, um, you know, just talk a little bit about, about that concept. Yeah. You know, I, like I said, I think a lot of it was growing up and just being, you know, getting used to handling, you know, your friends playing on you in tight pressure. And yeah. um, I think a lot of it is, is not being afraid of contact either and, and welcoming it. And, you know, a lot of, especially younger players when they're growing up, you know, they get that little bit of contact and they, you know, they're worried they're going to drop the ball. They're going to get put, you know, pushed over. And, you know, it, you kind of have to welcome it and then you have to get reps at it. And, you know, what can you, you know, you're not going to get, probably not going to get good at, you know, being, you can't just do it in the backyard by yourself. You know, yes, I, I practice my dodges all the time and I have, you know, sometimes I'll use cones, sometimes I'll just freelance, but um, I'm working on my footwork and, you know, to get to that point where I am now, I walk through this growing up and I'd be in my backyard and I'd be dodging chairs. You know, I had a, a, a white lawn chair at five and five and I would be doing moves on it, just practicing my steps and my footwork and, you know, probably not thinking of it, but practicing on keeping my head to the inside when doing my question mark. Right. And like, yeah. but not thinking, but just doing it. And, so being able to walk through it and understand really how you want your feet moving is important. And then you have to trust it and not be afraid of contact to when you actually go into practice or games. And I'd say practice is more important than games because you have to just get those touches and just, you know, keep on going. And, and, you know, if you get hurt or, you know, you get pushed around, like get right back into it because, you're not really, it's something being able to play with pressure on you is something that you really can't replicate outside of live reps. Right. And so you were sort of alluding to that, you know, you can go practice against the lawn chair all day, but you really got to get a feel for it against another person. And even more so in the context of sliders and middies in your way and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, we, in high school, you know, my senior year specifically, you know, the, my defense and I covered me in practice every day was Matt Jenka who played at Vermont and he was a tremendous player. He was smaller, but he was quick and fast, fastest guy on the team. And he had unbelievable stick checks. So for me, like I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to run by him. So <laughs> I got to have really good stick protection and I got to use my body well. And I went against him every day and we had an attack oriented offense and we'd be dodging and we'd have our battles and, He'd get frustrated. I get frustrated, but you know, we made each other better in college. The same thing, you know, you're going to go against defenders every day in practice, but you got to be aggressive about it and you have to get those reps in. Otherwise, you know, you're just not going to see it translate to the game. You're not just going to be able to, to practice it. But, you know, I think something that you do with younger players is, is show them, right. A lot, you know, film study. This is, this is what I'm talking about, you know? So first you got to understand it. Um, and then you got to go out and, and try and do it. And that's not going to happen unless you have live reps or, you yeah. know, you could play in the, play in the backyard with friends. You know, I, I, I know you're, you're big on the three on three and I'm, I'm just as big on that. I think it's extremely important for, for kids development. One of the keys is slowing down too, you know, because if you think about it, it's like as good of moves as you have behind the net, how often are you just coming around and dunking it? Yeah, never. Not that often. I mean, it happens. You'll come around yeah. and backhand or writing, whatever. But, but you know, you will get, it will happen. And maybe more, you know, certainly more so in high school, less in college, less in the pros. Yeah. But, then again, it's still not a huge percentage because if that's happening, they're sliding too fast anyway. So, you know, now you don't really want to be going full speed into a slide. So you have to learn how to probe 
but slowing down. And I've, I've noticed that you use different techniques on that. Sometimes, sometimes you shuffle your feet uh, right-handed and it's almost like you're kind of hitching and, and, and shuffling at the same time while you're, while you're looking. Um, yeah. Sometimes you'll almost square up to your guy, you know, like Junior does, you know, where your sticks back and you're just pushing because it's like a strong position. I don't see you turn your back too much, but you will kind of to use rockers and stuff like that. Um, we talked about, you know, like the way Ryder Garnsey kind of uses his back as yeah. an advantage because they can't really beat the crap out of you when you turn your back. Of course, they can double you. But then again, you know, sometimes you want to invite a double like that with your back turn because you know they're coming and you're just going to move it or feed it. So, um, but just talk a little bit about the, the element of slowing down because I think that's one of the biggest problems of the kids that I see is that they spend all their time full speed which is great. Well, going hard and using speed and changes of speed and all of that. But, but in the end, you're going to eventually run out of space. If you can't slow down and get there and operate, then that's, that's a problem. Yeah. You're eventually going to run out of space and you're going to run into pressure. And I think slow being able to slow down and with that handle the pressure when you do slow down is important, right? So it's like, how are you going to, I, I think being deceptive when you slow down is very important. So having your head up and having your eyes up and having your stick in a passing position mm-hmm. is going to, is going to alleviate, you know, relieve you of some of that pressure because if, you know, if all of a sudden I slow down and I back up and I'm side shuffling, and I have my head up, then the defenseman's going to be like, okay, what's he thinking here? What's he doing? Whereas if I slow down and my sticks in tight and, you know, I kind of just like get small, then he's going to be more physical and attack you. So I think when I slow down, a lot of it is, yeah, I'm looking to feed, I'm figuring out what I want to do next, but I'm always in a position where um, I'm ready to feed. And I'm always in a position that if he does approach me, you know, I can make a move and hopefully look at how he's approaching me to attack the top side or get underneath and then see where he is attacking me when he does approach you know it's it's all about angles with defensemen so if you if you do slow down and you know you're above the goal line you slow down and I pop out like I'm going to feed and he comes over the top you know you go underneath if he comes underneath you know you go over the top so um, those are things you can teach but at the same time it's you know you got to do it as well and you got you got to work on it it's hard to teach feel you know, you always talk about feeding, and that's the last topic I want to chat with you about is, you know, as a, as a feeder, um, one thing I've always noticed is that you oftentimes aren't choked all the way up on your stick. You're, you're splitting and dodging and almost like initiating contact with your stick. Your right, you know, if you're going righty with your right hand, like right in the middle of your stick, and I'm assuming because it's just a better position to be able to feed from even though you're risking maybe a little bit of stick protection, but if you feel comfortable, why choke all the way up when it's going to be harder to deliver a feed? Yeah. I'd say it's, it's both right. It's feeding and shooting, but um, certainly, you know, earlier in college, it was, it was like feeding, right. I dodge, I'm getting here. Like my hand, my one hand might be up, but this hand's going to be, you know, middle, maybe, you know, a little higher than middle on my shaft. Yeah. And it's because, you know, listen, when I put my second hand on my stick, it's a quick, it's a quick pass. You know, I'm not sliding it down. It's just, it's just boom, you know, and, and it's off. And for me, when I get to go on extend, a lot of times it, it does get a little low, especially when I'm probing, right? When I'm backing up and I'm shuffling, it is, it is in a position where, all right, one hand on, and it's that, you know, that lever pass that, you know, we talk about and, able to get that on sometimes I will have two hands on it but um feeding is is about having your head up it's about being ready I think if you can have your hands in a position that are going to allow you to get the feeds off quicker then better you know even more the better but it's also about being patient um you know a lot of times you know it's being ready right if you see a guy open you have to be ready to hit him but at the same time sometimes if you wait a second or two he's going to be open even more. Right. And it's like, you see the guy and all right, he's cutting. I don't want to throw it to him now, but if I wait a second or two longer, right, he might be in a better position to catch this ball. Um, and then on the contrary to that, it's like, all right, we talked about kind of being able to see the play develop. 
yeah and anticipate it's like all right well you know i see my guy and his guy sliding and he's cutting back door it's like you know i always don't need to rip a pass to him right i can just float one a few yards ahead of him a few steps ahead of him so that he's going to be there and catch it and put it in so i think it's a it's a touch game too right understanding when there's going to be time to to rip that pass and and get it to him quick and when there's going to be a time when you know you're going to need to put a little air under it so that he can step underneath it and it's just kind of being able to understand understand that and be able to to execute but feeding the best i mean i i'll take an assist over a goal anyway yeah totally (laughs) a great feeder buys time for his receiver what does that statement mean to you allow him to get open and you know handle the pressure and you know have your head up i i think that's you know it couldn't be more true I, i've never heard that 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 statement but right you want to you want to allow him the time to get open and you're ready when he's open so that you can make that pass at that time and i think you know we talk about slowing the game down if you can slow it down as a feeder when you're when you're getting ready to feed you know wait 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 allow him to do his thing and he'll eventually get open i mean i think the best receivers you allow them enough time they're going to find a way to get they're going to get open yeah and also it comes down to buying him time you know also has to do with disguising your feed so whether it's you know basically if everybody sees it coming you're you're limiting his time if nobody sees it coming you're buying him time if a receiver has more time they're going to make a whether it's a run after the catch in football or whether it's, you know, burying a shot inside and, and, and um, talk about the deception in disguise that you think about when you're feeding. Um, uh, feeding to, to him. So what, yeah. So like, I mean, if you see somebody open, you're not going to just like, you know, when you, when kids learn how to play lacrosse, they say point the one edge, stick, (laughs) follow through you know, that would not be very deceptive. What you'll do is you'll throw a no look or you'll feed it with a lever. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. And, and a lot of it, you know, I always resort back to my eyes and, you know, the first part is, you know, seeing his defenseman, seeing the guy that he's about to get past and, and being able to lock eyes with that guy. Mm -hmm. And if you can get that guy's eyes, then, you know, you've probably got him. So once you get that guy's eyes, then you can manipulate, where he's going to go. So if I'm dodging and I see that defense and that sliding or that's, that's on him and he's covering him, but he's looking at me, you know, I can then, I can then move him. Right. I can, I can look at him and look to my right when I know the guy's to the left, right. To get him to jump that way. And then, then you talk about thick positioning where you're here and then it's that lever pass right across yeah. to get the pet, you know, have it there. I always try to have my stick in line with where I'm passing the ball. So for that quick release. Yep. So if I, if I'm driving up the field, right, I probably want my stick behind me if I'm going to be throwing in front of me, but most times it's kind of to the side yep. because I know that the feed I'm probably going to throw is going to be back to my left. So it's going to be here. It's going to be over the top. Yep. Um, and when you do that, you're also kind of protecting your stick better, which I, you know, a lot of kids have a stick behind them where well, the defender can back check you there. He can get to that. It's like if you have it out in front of you a little bit, your stick's going to be ready to feed more, and the defender's stick is going to, you know, it's the, t- it's the furthest point away from him. So I always have that stick in that feeding position, and with my eyes as I'm going, can hopefully move the defender, you know, one way or the other, knowing, you know, with my eyes or with a simple just top hand fake, get him to move and then being able to pass out of that fake is important, right? It's, you, know, you have the big fakes, which some people are great at, but then if you could just fake and then throw a pass, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's like a basketball, you know, when you, you know, I've thrown yeah. so many passes where the guy on the wing may be open for a jumper and you look to him and you kind of look like you're going to throw it to him. Yeah. Defender jumps out and then you just rip it to the guy yeah. on the low paint. Right. It's like a redirect. Like, it's like it's you the redirect the, the direction of your fake into a pass. Yeah. It's one Grant of the Amit best passes as well. Your boy Grant Amick does that all the time. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, he probes. He probes when he feeds. I mean, yeah. 
he's probably gonna you know we talked about he's probably gonna have to work on that a little bit and be a little more physical but he uh he gets there he'll just back up and he'll just look and his stick is ready to go and he'll just fire a pass in there totally so um rob um how do people learn more about your a3 lacrosse app and your attack academy and stuff if they want to get in touch with you yeah, no, thanks. Um, Tac Academy is on the uh, website, uh, tacacademy.com. And that's where we have all our updated camps and clinics. And then the, uh, the fun is the A3 lacrosse app, which is where we have, you know, an instructional library of drills and uh, content instruction. And we also have weekly Zoom sessions and um, feedback uh feature where kids can upload video of them playing whether in game or in their backyard and get feedback um film sessions footwork sessions wall ball sessions all that good stuff so that's just on the app store so anyone can download that it's uh it's only for iphones right now i'm working on android but anybody with an iphone can download it it's free to download and then uh if they want to become a member that's uh, that's up to them sweet i'm gonna have to do that i got an iphone yeah check it out i will let me know what you think Hey, thank you so much for coming on the show. I love talking lacrosse with you. We got to do it again sometime. Yeah, Jamie, thank you. It's, uh, it's nice to talk about a lot of things in lacrosse that you don't usually talk about. And uh, you, you bring that out in people. So thank you. Awesome, man. We'll be in touch. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right, thanks.